Welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschnow. On today's episode, Sean, Chris, and I discuss NFTs. Are NFTs truly the future of art, or do they present the same issues as our current art market, just in a more convenient digital package? Hey, Sean. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello. Hey, y'all. When this episode comes out, uh, this news might be a little bit old. This is kind of the fun thing about talking about a um, a topic like this, like what we're discussing, which I'm not going to name until we introduce the episode. So if you somehow got here without reading the title, it'll be a fun mystery for you. But when you when you cover a topic like this, it's always this gamble of will people still be talking about it in two weeks or is this just a a little blip based on all the research i know that this is kind of as a result of kind of a monumentous thing that happened was it christie's or sotheby's yeah christie's yeah so it's something big that happened at christie's but this is something that's been a part of the art world for some time and i think that it will persist it involves rich, powerful, famous people. So, yeah. Especially now. Sigh. Thanks, Christies, for making this episode a little bit more evergreen. Today, we are talking about NFTs, non fungible tokens. Wait, is Christie sponsoring this episode? <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Meaning What brought to you by Christie's. <laughs> yeah, so you're giving me an original Picasso right now for free. As a sponsorship. That's not really how they work, but... We'll make it happen. But this this podcast is now an unpaid internship for Christie's that they don't know that they're <laughs> supplying us with. That's why it's surprising that they've allowed me to be part of their corporation, whatever they are. They're... The something. Auction house. Yeah, so the NFTs, non-fungible tokens, this, uh, there was something at Christie's that sold for, like, what was... What was the number, the financial dollar amount? Millions. It was seven figures. Yes, right? it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it made Beeple, the artist who uh, created it and sold it, uh, he is now the third most valuable living artist behind uh, Jeff Koontz and David Hockney, I believe. Fucking Jeff Koontz. <laughs> yeah. Well, this marks a groundbreaking shift in what is considered valuable art, right? Traditionally, mm-hmm. a auction house like Christine's or Sotheby's, who are the, the two big names in fine art dealing, trade exclusively in physical art, right? The, the kind of classic idea of what fine art is. That is your paintings, your sculpture, um, your Banksy's. And with both of those auction houses now selling NFTs as of uh, two years ago now, it is kind of a recognition of this technology that has been around for the better part of a decade at this point. But it is those auction houses sort of grabbing onto the trend really lends it a, a sort of legitimacy that um, that it didn't have before, and it has also, as we'll talk about, skyrocketed the value of of NFTs and and of the idea in general. So a couple of definitions real quick. NFT stands for non-fungible token. It is a 
to to really 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 simplify it, it's a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. It is on the cryptocurrency network Ethereum. Ethereum, yeah, which is the coins are Ether, and the difference between a NFT in this sense and say a Bitcoin is that every Bitcoin is identical. It's the same strip of code with some raw data attached to it that tracks who owns it and, and buys it and sells it. An NFT is a unique strip of code. So there's additional code inside of it that makes the NFT a unique object, right? A unique like visual a object. Certificate of authenticity. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is how it is useful in digital art because presumably a, a, a piece of art is a, at least the original, is a one-of-a-kind object. That is, in theory, where most the value comes from, right? Is that it is the only Mona Lisa that exists. Yes, yeah, the scarcity. Right. Um, and so this is a form of scarcity. Yeah, I also have some questions about like the like you know we can also debate like <laughs> how important is the scarcity of this one of a kindness but for example my first exposure to nfts unshockingly is grimes who just made a six million dollars off of nfts and part of her sale of it involved selling thousands of copies of some short videos like each one sold thousands of copies, and she made $7,500 on each copy of it. So uh, it's special, but unique to a set number of several thousand of them? Question mark. Well, from my <laughs> understanding is that, let's say, what is it, Beeple? The, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a weird handle but if yeah. if people creates a piece of art and then assigns let's say 25 unique non-fungible mm. tokens then Got 25 it. people can say that they have an original version of that art of that piece and then that piece can then be shared freely among the internet and be shown to people all across the world and be seen by any number of people but then those tokens can then be traded and bought and sold amongst other people, but just because there's 25, there's still a limited number and kind of meets that uh, scarcity criteria that lends them some value, just not as much as if there was a single token. Right. Right, and this this sort of solves the inherent problem, if we want to call it a problem, of digital art in the internet age, right? Which yeah. is that, what is, what is an original... Um, when you can make near infinite copies of it mm -hmm. and share them widely, you know, and and for a long time, like one of the arguments against digital art was that it, unlike physical art, the original doesn't matter because everything is the same, um, and so it does not have value outside of what anybody is willing to pay for a copy, and what NFTs sort of allow artists or collectors or counterfeiters to do is create a original or something that appears to be an original and say this is the first copy that exists it's tied to this string of code that's how you know that it's the original and everything else is a copy off of this um, and so if you want the original object which in modern technology often is identical 
to all of its copies. You know, if you want to, but if you want to have this original one, you got to buy this NFT. And that is the proof. And it's, I mean, it's worth mentioning too that like JPEGs, for example, each time that you save it from a copy, it degrades a little bit. So after millions and millions and millions and millions, it will come apart. We've all seen like memes that have been posted and reposted one too many times and gotten compressed and they start to get like weird artifacting. Yeah. So digital art is not invincible, right? And so in kind of an abstract way, there's that value there that like the original is the original. Is the best quality. Right. But originals can come apart on hard drives as well. So it sort of solves some... It solves some fine art issues with digital art, but it doesn't sort of revolutionize uh, digital art in the way that the uh, sort of most evangelical followers of it might suggest. Yeah. (laughs) This sort of thing has been floating around in the art world just under the surface for a while. One sort of analogy that I've seen a lot while researching this is that NFTs are kind of like, baseball trading cards or beanie babies. Yep. Right. And so perhaps as an extension of that, a lot of, especially early NFTs were sort of modeled on that like trading card thing. William Shatner sold Shatner themed trading cards, one of which was apparently an x-ray of his own teeth. Those went for um, a few thousand dollars. Oh, wow. Famed internet asshole Logan Paul sold Logan Paul trading cards. Oh, fuck off. Went for up to $20,000 a pop. So if you exist on the internet and you have a following willing to purchase a part of you, right? Just like trading cards or sports memorabilia or Pokemon cards or Beanie Babies. You know, there's there's that market that's clamoring to own that sort of slice. What's changed is that, as we said before... Um, the big auction houses have seen this and said, hey, this is an application in art. A lot of art is moving into the digital sphere. And now we have a way of trafficking it in a form that meets the ideals and model of the big name fine art auction houses. So hypothetically, in in, in the good usage of it, it's supposed to make the art more accessible for everyone, Right. In the sense that Bob such and such with a bajillion dollars owns an NFT for said digital art, but can share it with everyone. But hypothetically, Bob such and such who owns this can choose not to share it with everyone, right? And thereby keep it to themselves? Or no? Well, the artist can still share. True. Um, like, So what do you own exactly when you own the NFT? From what I can tell, you basically own what's like a key, um, which is essentially, you know, this digital piece of information that shows that kind of certifies the authenticity of the piece and also registers the owner of that key as the person who is like right. the current owner of this one particular piece of art, whatever that art may be. And that's one reason why that's one thing where Ethereum differs from something like Bitcoin, whereas Bitcoin is modeled just to be a way of utilizing currency. Ethereum allows more than just currency to be shared. And that's kind of where this comes into play. And while 
this Bob such and such billionaire Bob can own this key, this uh, NFT that doesn't necessarily stop the art from finding its way into the wider swath of the internet. And also it allows people to trade and like buy and sell these pieces of art in much more transparent ways than what we usually think of when it comes to the uh, secondhand art world that is rife with money laundering. Yeah. I'm sure someone will find a way to money launder this shit. Oh yeah, of course. Like that's kind of <laughs> one of the whole reasons why people really like the idea of cryptocurrency is because it's this semi-anonymous, untraceable thing that doesn't necessarily have the inherent dangers of dealing face-to-face with cash handling. Um, you know, you hear about stories of the deep web and that's usually the kinds of currency that people deal with there to, you know, have these less than reputable transactions. So of course, just like with anything else, any system can be built with any number of safety mechanisms put in place, but there's always going to be someone out there or several someones who are going to try to exploit it for their own nefarious ideas of what they want to accomplish in order to benefit themselves. And one sort of fun side effect of that that I was reading about recently is that now the U.S. government is in the business of oh trading and distributing both Bitcoin and NFTs because when we helped shut down Silk Road, the online black market, the federal government came into possession of a shit ton of cryptocurrency and now they are auctioning it off. And The federal government has made tens of billions of dollars on cryptocurrency. Wait, can't we just use that money to wipe out student loan debt or pass Medicare for all? We have fighter jets that don't fly that we have to build first. Oh, okay. Forever. Ah, and then drone bomb people for no reason. Right. For oil. Right. Allegedly. We're still looking for those WMDs. <laughs> it's interesting, Mason, that you bring that up because kind of the idea of behind something like crypto is the idea that it is decentralized, that it kind of operates outside of the guise of any kind of central power like the United States government or any government or even something smaller like a bank. Right. And to have a large government entity kind of have their fingers in the pie kind of limits the uh, what a lot of people in 2017 viewed as some of the highest ideals of utilizing crypto versus other financial means. Right. Totally. I mean, this is something straight out of like the anarchist cookbook, right? Like (laughs) how do we, how do we trade in a way that removes the ability of governments to, um, to get involved? And, and that's, it's super appealing, right? That, that it is a non-centered platform. All cryptocurrencies exist in this sort of decentralized way. That's how they operate. And, they also come with the ability to track the transactions, right? Which is kind of a weird double-edged sword because like you can, you know, it it is decentralized, but it also creates this digital paper trail that allows you to backtrack and see who, um, who has been trading it, which is like a, you know, dystopian dream, right? Of like... <laughs> 
who spent what money where. It's interesting because I always assumed that crypto was meant to be anonymous. Even in the, even though there's now there's I'm reading and like, oh yeah, there's this ledger <laughs> that helps everybody <laughs> keep track of who's spending what. And it's like, uh, wait, that's weird. And who has access to the ledger? It's it's yeah. hard to you can't keep track of that if it's decentralized. It's this sort of like trade-off. And I'm I am, you know, we should put it out there. I am no expert in cryptocurrency. I'm beginning to think that no one actually is. <laughs> you know, there there are folks that obviously produced this code and there are software designers and coders who are who who know how to do this. But anytime you come across uh, anytime that I have come across a explainer on it, it always tumbles tumbles into this like techno babble, like don't worry about it, it just works kind of thing. Which is kind of the way that a lot of newer technologies are going. And once you start getting into machine learning and algorithms and stuff, it's this idea that somebody out there who was knowledgeable enough to create the code puts it in place, but then at some point it kind of starts going through the motions and doing the things kind of on its own. And as far as like delving into not only how it works, but also especially something like uh, Ether or Ethereum, where you also have a user component and how people are utilizing this, and especially for something that also depends on people who do the mining and stuff like that. There's this other element that is not may not necessarily completely operate in the way that the original designers may have intended. And once you get into the idea that there's more than just one or two different cryptocurrencies out there, there's several uh, different platforms outside of Ethereum that are used for NFTs and even more that are used for cryptocurrency in general. And they all have different values based on speculation yep. and they all have, uh, they operate in, in slightly different ways. One of the, sort of bringing it back to the question of the ledger, one of the really appealing things, especially for digital artists about NFTs is that because it is, you know, because you can follow it in traceable transactions, it really sort of undermines the secondhand art market, mm -hmm. which traditionally operates outside of the artist, right? You can, you can trade physical art without sort of concern for where it came from. You know, you, you can you can buy a, an artist's piece for half a million dollars while they're alive and then uh, 10 years later, 20 years later, 100 years later, sell it for millions and you don't have to think about like where that came from and, and do all that messy yeah. stuff. You can set up an NFT, from my understanding, to kick a portion of all letter sales back to the artist, right? So, yeah. Um, there's a organization I came across called Foundation. I think the website's called foundation.app where any subsequent sales of an NFT, 10% of those sales go back to the original artist, which I thought was a, a really great way to kind of help kind of curtail some of the issues that we're currently experiencing and some of the issues that we've talked about already on several episodes with the secondhand art market. Right. And now the issue that comes up, you know, you, you solve for one issue, um, six more pop up in its place. One of the big issues with cryptocurrency is that anyone can make anything an NFT. And there isn't a whole lot of mechanisms in place to really guarantee where it came from. So 
for example, I'm a photographer and I post my art online, right? Somebody can lift that art from my website or from Instagram, you know, not worrying about how those things get compressed and how all of that actually works. And they can create an NFT mm -hmm. out of it and then sell it and say that they are the originator of that piece, right? And there's no real way that I've seen yet to verify that they originated mm -hmm. it, right? Because it's a digital file that came from somewhere and metadata is not a perfect system. And if your art is stolen in this way, right? There's no way to like redirect those funds to the person who originally created it. The person who made the NFT hangs onto the wallet, but how how to get those funds to the artist, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there's no uh, digital antiques roadshow out there that can certify <laughs> Oh yes, this is uh this is definitely original Hirschnell. According to the right. ones yes, and zeros, yes, yes. maybe. I don't know. I update my metadata and all of my photographs. Don't try it. It's there. <laughs> and there's definitely no way to edit that information at all on a computer using basic software. So don't even try it. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. This is all, like, I'm no technology expert, but just examples of artists I listen to or understand who are attempting to grapple with all this intrigue me and i it also right and the thing that pings me the worst is like what can be an nft can be anything which mm -hmm. is a little concerning so a recent example that um is a burning hot mess just like her per public life um azelia banks the <laughs> infant terrible artist who argues on the internet every 30 seconds her and her ex-fiance made a sex tape that he allegedly coerced her into agreeing to sell the audio as an NFT and for like the value of something like $17,000. But it is sold to someone that they don't know who it is under who goes under a false pseudonym, Ralton Fighter, which they apparently can't find out exactly who it is, which maybe it's just hidden somewhere in the meta code and they just don't understand. He has full ownership of the album distribution display rights, sole access to the audio, and a signed LP vinyl of it all. And then apparently it's being resold, we don't know if it's reliable, for somewhere along the lines of Ethereum to $260 million from 17000 But all of that feels icky, and I feel like it's because we live in the internet age, we are like fast cycling to the terrible part of NFTs like within two months of me. Understanding well, what the concept is. They're honestly, they're the ones who agreed to put that out in the world and put a price yes. tag on it. And once you commodify yes. something like that and you sell it to somebody for seventeen thousand dollars and provide that entity with the sole rights, like that's your fucking fault. Sorry. Yep. Like I feel zero <laughs> zero empathy for that person. Whatever you fucked up, deal with it. And it's also one of those things that kind of highlights what little I know about cryptocurrency where, yeah, there's a ledger and the ledger is supposedly publicly available and transparent. But at the same time, there's this level of opacity and mm -hmm. uh, opaqueness that makes it so that these things can't be readily 
looked at and verified and checked into, which, you know, it's it's a system that's kind of in its infancy. And as things start going along and once somebody sells the audio of a sex tape for $260 million in cryptocurrency, it's going to start hopefully getting the wheels in motion for people to start looking at the things that are wrong with this kind of endeavor. But at the same time, it winds up being something that I think might be beyond a lot of people's understandings when they start trying to get into this market. And I am wondering how, as Sotheby's and Christine start to legitimize NFTs as more of a viable way of buying and selling art, what that's going to do to not only the collections world of the arts, but also the way that people are going to wind up producing art and trying to maintain some kind of financial viability through creating art. Right. right. It feels, to, yeah, my biggest concern, like, question is, like, the perceived value feels so wildly arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's somehow even more so than, like, fine art selling is already. I mean, it, on paper it is, right? And it's that issue of reproducibility. If if a thing can be reproduced, can perfectly and consumed for free everywhere, does that original thing have value? Just like all currency, it only has value because we believe that it has value, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always amused by the argument that Bitcoin is better than hard currency um, because hard currency is a myth and just valueless paper that we all believe in. Cryptocurrency is the same way. It's all <laughs> speculative. Yep. And, and it only has value because we believe that it has this value and we behave in ways that perpetuate that value. At least... Theoretically, there's a little bit of gold still in Fort Knox that backs up the U.S. dollar. <laughs> but the two concerning things, I, for me, right, you have that issue of, so setting aside the the problem of, like, consent and knowing, you know, like, informed consent right. that would come with the sale of a sex tape and, and how opinions change and then also, like, the permanence or impermanence of everything on the internet in the long run, it's my understanding that NFTs can be set up in ways that allow, for example, the originator to turn them off, basically. Oh, that's interesting. One concern about CryptoKitties, which was an early sort of model for creating art and assigning them to NFTs and, and sort of building a trading system with it, Part of that, you know, that code is connected to a language that is translated into this little drawing of a cat. But if the originator of that code revokes it somehow, it renders that code just a string of code. So presumably, somebody holding this, you know, it doesn't get, it would not get rid of the media that's attached to it, Mm. right? Because of how computers generally Mm -hmm. save media, but it would potentially destroy the value of that NFT, right? Just becomes a string of numbers. The other issue with that is that, you know, by saying that you don't want a thing to exist, it reinforces its scarcity and and often drives Mm -hmm. up the price. Right. Uh, the, The cynical view there would be, well, what's one really good way to stay in the headlines? You know, create 
a sort of scandal around scandal. a high value object. But I, you know, all of those things are are valuable questions, right? And and I think that like one of the biggest issues around NFTs is that there is a really tangible issue that you have to face that you do not own the only copy of the thing, right? Like it is there up front, and so they are running this gamble. Everyone from Bob down the street to Christie's in New York are running this gamble that this value is going to stay steady, that people will continue to believe that NFTs have value. And when Christie trades in them, when Sotheby trades in them, and when Art Magazine writes about them and High Fructose writes about them and Juxtapose writes about them, that reinforces that belief that there is value in them. And so in that way, they become sort of stabilized. But as soon as that stops, or as soon as the servers which hold this information fail, or the technology, the software that is used to consume whatever the NFT is tied to becomes obsolete, which it will, what what happens to value then? Right, and it's weird that these institutions to me that are old and crotchety, so therefore generally risk averse to like certain things are so into this which (laughs) in itself perpetuates this weird circle of legitimizing it but it's also like it takes one good hacker and this all just goes so and then but and then there's no government regulation about any of this so what happens when you lose millions and or billions of value dollar value in the NFTs because someone made a boo-boo. Well, we're also assuming that the way that these keys and these servers are set up are done so in very like done by like interns when they're really not. Like my partner and I just got dealing with kind of really big uh security issues with her web server dealing with security keys and SSH keys and everything is fine. It's just that there are so many stop gaps put in place and so much entropy that is available to even your average consumer who's trying to protect their passwords that the idea that a hacker, a singular hacker could potentially disrupt an entire art market isn't really like I wouldn't entertain that idea based on my knowledge of the way that uh, computer security works nowadays and at going through networking courses right now the idea of server redundancy and the fact that in what i've read of crypto all this stuff all these ledgers and all this information doesn't just live on a central server it exists on multiple servers throughout the entirety of the internet i find that the permanence of nfts may actually rival or be even better than Bob Billionaire down the street keeping a Picasso above his fireplace. You could drop that Picasso. Yeah, you you could drop that Picasso. (laughs) The maid could come in and make a boo-boo on the face and make potato Jesus on accident. You know, like there's all these things that could potentially happen in the real world that will also negate the value of a physical piece of art. And I feel like the things that may affect physical art pieces to make them lose their value. There are comparable things that may happen to them in the internet sphere, but I feel like 
with the internet being what it is today, with cloud storage and with, uh, you know, the higher security measures put in place, aside from just a lock and a key or motion sensors to protect somebody's physical art, I feel like there is more security measures put in place to safeguard digital assets than there are physical assets these days. Definitely. And and part of that is the reality that so much of the world exists online. Yeah, especially in the era of COVID. Right. But it also, you know, there is a fallacy hidden within all of that, that the internet is in any way permanent and indestructible. Oh, and I would, I am not worried about a single hacker, right? Like the the idea of the sort of swordfish style <laughs> lone wolf entering a server and taking down oh it's such a good but such a bad movie <laughs> oh man we should watch that for movie club one day oh we should it's been a long time we should uh it hasn't gotten any better <laughs> i i watched it maybe five years ago now and it like really singed into my my brain <laughs> um but anyway like you know that all of these systems that we're we're setting up are based on a, a need mm-hmm. at the moment, and and they are based on the the sort of climate in every way of of the world that they are being created in, and so for now, like they are very secure, you know, and 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 have a sense of incredible permanence, but the the idea that then by extension, an NFT is any more or less destructible than a physical piece of art is sort of a non-question. It's, it is it is destructible in a different way that is easy to, I think, even for myself, is easy to overlook because right now the internet feels very permanent and right now mm-hmm. technology feels very permanent. And right now the amount of the internet that exists on Amazon servers <laughs> doesn't feel like a problem um Uh. you know and and in reality we're like just like any other industry it is there are incredibly complex issues sort of bubbling under the surface and something that i forgot to mention is that for physical art you know there's title insurance there's there's all these ways that people have of protecting their investments because ultimately at the end of the day buying and selling of art is investing. And there, as far as I know, I, I may just be unaware of it, but as far as I know, there are no safeguards for people to protect their investments in the event that they are buying and selling in NFTs. And there's a big question there, right, of if there's a demand for that. Because to have a sort of that safety net, to have things like insurance, you have to have a regulatory body to define everything and figure out the value of of anything and then sort of you know keep everything above board enough to ensure um which wouldn't appeal to at, at least right now most people who are really seriously pulled towards cryptocurrency the appeal of which being that it is as we talked about decentralized and lacking any sort of regulation the idea of ensuring one's investment doesn't really fit into that libertarian to be frank <laughs> yeah. sort of system right like if if you if you lose a thing well shit that's just how a free market works the only thing that protects you is the sort of systemic regulation that that things like 
a decentralized currency are looking to fundamentally yeah. avoid. And it's not like the U.S. government is just super behind on regulating or understanding technology. Nope, never. That is, wouldn't be an issue here. Well, they're they are they are actually profiting from its existence, right? right? So those so, like, shh, I, I don't know what I don't know what these are. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand this. What what is this? <laughs> we can make money on this. Okay, I'm gonna buy some more fighter jets. <laughs> Time to drone bomb more countries. Children in cages? What are you talking God. about? Ooh. So something that I am curious about is how this is going to affect your average artist. Mm. Because a lot of the stuff that's being covered in the news are these very prolific or very high-profile instances of art going for seven-plus figures. Or, you know, in the event of Azalea Banks, you know, something that's not necessarily considered traditional art and i know that there's some instances where we saw like an nft of uh the very first tweet selling for six figures right and you know these are all things that make great headlines and make editors very happy and provide for really great clickbait but for your average artist who like sean you create something you create a midi file and a really great song and you put make an nft for it and you put it out there in the world or mason you <laughs> publish uh, a photo and create an NFT for it. And while I would love for both of you to make six figures through Christie's, I think that would be great and good for the pod and good for everybody listening. But the more realistic option is probably uh, going to be much less than that. And so I'm wondering how something like these systems can benefit artists who right now are kind of struggling to kind of fight against the system to find a way to produce the art that they feel is important and to the world and important to themselves to still able to put a roof over their heads and food in their stomachs. I think that there are people who would argue that the original idea was to create an art market for everyone, right? And that falls apart the moment that Christie's gets involved, mm -hmm. right? Because now it has entered the space where there is so much money flowing around that a lot of money continues to flow around, you know, and it becomes that much more difficult to enter. I don't think that at the end of the day, this changes the everyday artist. I think it makes it worse, possibly. Oh, yeah. It's just, it might just perpetuate the rich get richer and uh, like, because it's all speculative value anyways, right? My my one song from someone who's never made music before and doesn't have inherent market value is, I feel like the people who are into NFTs already have money to throw around to begin yeah. with. So thereby, their interests become the center of the universe for that. And it's, I guess, until every Bob, Joe, and Lucy is involved in crypto or can profit or operate in capitalism under <laughs> under crypto it doesn't feel like any quote-unquote regular person will be able to glean value or a living off of it right what what this does is not so much reform the art market as laterally shift mm -hmm. right it is it is just a new market and it comes with all of the same issues that the old markets came with the real solution to all of that is to destroy the art market, at least in its current form, right? Like, you want to solve everything for the everyday artist, you remove 
big money from art and you figure out ways to fund artists at the base level, right? And and make making art a thing that not just wealthy, generally white, overwhelmingly male people can do. You make it a thing that is accessible to everybody. And with that comes a whole litany of economic and cultural reform that creating a cryptocurrency will never come close to yeah. um, addressing. The other issue that I find with this too is that it it really highlights a lot of what I feel are the major issues in digital art. I know digital media artists personally. I I am you know I've I've gone to school with them. I am friends with them. I think that a lot of them are doing really interesting, genuinely terrific work, and and are coming from a lot of them. At least people that I know are their work kind of traffics in utopian ideals of like reinventing what an art space can be. But digital art always carries this issue of ignoring actual accessibility because unlike a painting, which you can put in front of somebody and as long as they have eyesight, they can see it or music, you know, which as long as they can hear, they can hear it. You don't have to engage with something in between to look at a painting, mm-hmm, yeah. right? Digital art always has something, an additional step in between. And and the belief that gets dangerously thrown around is that because it's on the internet is available to everyone. And that ignores the very real fact that not everyone has the vast majority of the world doesn't have access to yeah. high-speed internet, mm-hmm. doesn't have access to quality computers, right? Like, in addition to that, most people cannot make digital art. You can hand paints to a five-year-old and they can slap stuff on a canvas and they can, you know, they can make quote-unquote art, right? There's that argument. You can't sit a five-year-old in front of a computer and have them, you know, make an augmented reality (laughs) filter that creates a uh, a mixed reality space within a museum right that that's just not a that's not a thing and so there's this tricky conversation that happens in digital art where there is this sort of evangelical side of it where where digital artists and i think genuinely believe that they are creating a sort of utopian world where you know more people have access to art because it exists on these publicly accessible platforms and what that inherently ignores is that it doesn't dispose of the structural issues that actually stand in the way of people making and consuming art absolutely i hadn't thought of that yeah and an nft is just an additional step to that right it is great if you know what an NFT is and if you have the technology to purchase it and to consume it. But as soon as you don't, and the vast majority of human beings on the planet never will, it doesn't do anything for you. It all comes back to capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> well, something that I was reading is that, you know, a lot of times the people who directly benefit from dealing in NFTs are the artists themselves and granted the nfts can be resold and so you wind up having these collectors that wind up benefiting too but they buy do buy them directly from the artist and so what 
winds up happening is you have these people who are very tied to the art world and not just looking for a way to pad their portfolio, having this excess of Ethereum. And so what they do is they go and they support the artists that they want to see and who they want to support. And so you have artists out there who specifically want to collect and curate specifically NFTs from black artists or Asian American artists who, you know, artists who maybe fit this particular section of the artistic world who may be neglected from the wider artistic world. And that makes me feel a little bit better about this weird quote unquote, potentially utopian way of buying and trading art because it Mason, like you had mentioned in the beginning of of the episode, even though it might produce six more problems, it at least provides a way to potentially alleviate one or two major problems in the interim, which makes me feel a little bit more hopeful about the way that we're currently looking at and attempting to reckon with the way in which the art market is currently limiting your non-white, non-male, non-American artists. Right. And the optimist in me... Wait, there's an optimist in you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is news. It's real deep down there. I don't generally let them out, but they can be a a valuable storytelling asset. Um, The... The optimist in me generally agrees, and I think that we're seeing, as, as you said, we're we're seeing evidence of of that happening, right? And and it is a new tool to support those types of people that generally wouldn't be in the art market. I think that the the problem with that, and here's the cynic, is that we've seen this cycle before, right? Every time, Every time a new technology shows up that that creates a quote unquote public platform for creatives, it begins with the similar set of spreading access around. And eventually, once large money generally gets involved in it, it tightens up. Spotify was, you know, argued that it, it would allow anyone to get money on their plays. Spotify is deeply problematic. Instagram, right? The worst. Begins as a way to to share not just your own personal life, but art publicly. And it is now a advertising platform. Mm-hmm. We can't predict these things. There's, there is no way that any of us can sit here and say that cryptocurrency and NFTs is or is not a good thing. I think more so it's a cautionary tale of initially it will do those good things, especially right now when it is culturally popular to back minority groups and there is that public pressure for good reason to be doing that but it was a white guy that sold his art for an incredible amount of money Mm -hmm. at Christie's and so as we are beginning to slip into those old systems my big worry here in addition to the environmental factor is that while it sort of lays a very promising platform to level the playing field it is starting to run away into the same places that always lands us in the same trap of the wealthy, well-connected will continue to succeed. They just now have a platform that allows us to believe that you or I or any of us can, can jump in. 
Right. And then then when we all start to worry about it on a larger structural level, there'll be the questions of, okay, let's try to regulate it, which especially in this this point, it'll lose its sexy cool or whatever once we try to regulate it. But we've seen time and time again how these regulations inherently carry all these bizarre biases mm-hmm. and racism and stuff, especially YouTube. YouTube is like the worst it's moderating. Ugh. Well, Google is, you know, Skynet. So, <laughs> yep. Um, and I don't, I also don't want to say that, like, because of what historically always happens, you know, because of that, that means that this should not be pursued. It's just not a part of the conversation in a way that it should be that that makes me feel comfortable mm-hmm. about how it's operating. Like, I want to see actual real actions to sort of make it, you know, a populist mm-hmm. thing. I don't know how to do that outside of actual real regulation. If we leave it up to human nature, it will turn into the art market part two, electric boogaloo. Right, but exactly. worse um, because that's how we operate. Yeah, and as soon as soon as any minority support loses traction, they will fall by the wayside because it will no longer be as valuable financially to continue to push them as it is to push the old tried and true things that Western culture sort of ensures that continue to be valuable, successful. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 uh, optimist in me is is very tiny. <laughs> so, you know, I let them out. I get to say the word, and then it gets shoved by um, back in. Sort of shoveled on. <laughs> Here, go play for like two seconds. All right, come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now leave the room. The adults are talking. So, for our listeners, like in our opinion, should they invest in NFTs? Should they produce art and put NFTs to them? Should they? find other ways of supporting artists directly? Should they write a strongly worded email to Sotheby's and Christine's? You know, like for for those and plugged into the artist in the artistic world, either from the production or the consumption standpoint, which I hope everybody is, you know, what what does this news mean to them? What does the rise of NFTs mean to them? If you have access to NFTs, please give it to me. <laughs> um, what are the FCC rules around... Um, giving advice on investing or not because we are we are coming very dangerously close to giving investment advice which we're not doing well this whole episode is us potentially giving advice or you know <laughs> bring it fcc suck my dick there's no such thing as bad press is but is saying don't invest is that still investment advice i think it is I th- uh, consider your yeah, things we're not experts yeah. don't do it Maybe, yes. No, maybe. (laughs) This is entertainment. You are entertained, are you not? Be entertained. I specifically requested it. (laughs) Oh, shit. I say fucking buy art. Please. However you're going to do it. And preferably buy it from people who don't sell art for millions of dollars. Buy it from the kid down the street or from your nephew or from the daughter of whoever sits next to you at the piano recital. Like, just... Buy art. Don't go to a museum gift shop and and buy the prints that they have there. You know, find people on Instagram or wherever on the internet, buy art directly from them. If that comes in the form of an NFT because the artist says, hey, do this thing, buy NFTs. Or if they are offering prints, 
buy prints. If you want an original, ask for original and be prepared to pay the price for an original piece of artwork. I think that, like, at the end of the day, the answer to this is to, like, if you genuinely believe that the art market is problematic, which you probably have some curiosity about if you are still listening to this episode and this podcast in general, you have to directly and actively get involved in sort of making that higher-end art market unimportant. And that's not going to get rid of it. That's not going to solve the problem of the the incredible income gap that exists in art alongside the incredible income gap that exists in culture and the economy in general. But the the easiest and most straightforward answer is to just buy art from artists. And the second part of that is to not just do engage in wishful thinking, but actively demand the change in policy that would make it so that we don't have to keep having these conversations. Support funding the arts. Support refunding the endowment for the arts. Support public art. Support the use of regional and local art from regional and local artists in local installations instead of hiring Jeff Koons to put art in front of your stadium, right? That's the answer here. NFTs were always going to happen. As soon as the technology comes about, like we're going to find a way to monetize it and and make it a thing to move large amounts of money around because that's how large amounts of money work. But we can make it a non-issue by addressing the things at the the bottom that allow these sorts of monsters to continue to grow and perpetuate. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?